Hello, welcome to another episode of uh, Game Design Chat, hosted by the Knoxville Game Design Meetup Podcast Group. Uh, what is today? Today is Sunday, October 9th, and our game this uh, podcast is Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Ooh, spooktober. Put, okay. put scary names on your Twitter handle, something I've totally done. I've just given in to being that guy. I thought about doing that, but just doing like Dylan, scary Twitter name, Wolf, or something like that, or how... Wolf. Like, you've got wolf for, like, all the werewolf jokes or something like that. Like, no. There's probably a wolf emoji. That's what put me over the line. That's actually when I started doing the, the comical Twitter name changing every month or every, you know, week or so, was when I realized you can put emojis in the names, because I just think of that as, like, a database nightmare, and it's hilarious to me. It's like- because it's Unicode. And yeah, it's like, like, I wouldn't want to support that in my database at all. I'd be like, no, they can't have this weird garbage. And try and imagine the layouts on like Twitter of like, now you can have images in this text field. Good luck with trying to lay out the art for this page, you know? Because somebody's going to come behind and do a new skin of all the emojis on the site to make them look different. And then that's going to wreck your nice layout. I'm... I'm just going to be against it because I'm an old man and I don't understand emojis. Like back in my day, we had 256 characters and we were happy with that. Um, also, trains have jumped on. I'm, I'm enjoying a nice pumpkin spice coffee too. I am just totally <laughs> evil this month. <laughs> mm. And yes, I have bought some pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks even. Like just the, the darkest dankest evil i can possibly do this month dankest meme um so to to cover for next month our game is going to be inside um by the studio that created limbo uh the name is uh, escaping me at the moment um but yeah it is another i think we're going to just allow our price point to go to twenty dollars there's a lot of twenty dollar indies that we have our eye on and we're kind of waiting for a sale or, or them to get old enough that they, they go on sale, that they hit the $15 rule we set up. Um, we're going to go ahead and relax that to a $20 rule so that uh, a lot more of these can be included. Uh, because we don't want to hit really small indies. We're going to hit what I jokingly call triple I indies. Um, so there's enough meat to talk about and flesh out a whole conversation. And we're not like yeah. taking a one-hour game... Uh, by a single person um, and overly dissecting it, um, where it's a little bit more of a team and a little bit like a, a, a goal for most indies rather than where a lot are at and give us more content to talk about. Um, since it's just me and Dylan uh, on this one, um, I guess just any game in the last month or so, play wise, that's not amnesia. Um. Gone back to Overwatch a bit. Um, I've dived a lot into Overwatch. I am. I got my competitive <laughs> ranking at twenty three seventy, and it has now slid a thousand, a hundred points down to twenty two hundred. Yeah, um, I had the same experience. I had. I was started out as like fourteen hundred something, and I'm now thirteen hundred, and just staying there and getting yelled at and threatened by people in chat for picking the wrong character. Like, don't pick Torbjorn. Because I. Um, People throw there, a there's a great video on Kotaku 
uh, a guy made of nothing but people yelling at him for the character pick. And then the highlights from the game that followed of like him running around his Torbjorn and just ripping it up and owning the entire map. And, and the thing is, I'm not that good. Yeah, but he, he can know. he can back that up. Uh, I'm playing on the PlayStation, so um, mostly so I'm playing on the couch with the controller, and I'm not worried about keyboard mouse players. Like I don't want to get to that level. Okay? I'm playing on the couch with a controller. On PC yeah, against keyboard yeah. mouse So players. it's a little harder on PlayStation 4, though, for people to yell at you. Like, what that they can do um, is they blink their character at you a bunch. So, like, there was an earlier game. Like, I'm practicing Widowmaker. I'm trying to diversify. My main is May. Um, I've gotten very good as May. Like, that's how I got my, my 2300, my gold status uh, competitive, uh, was with May. But I don't always get to pick May. Uh, May's good. She's versatile. Yeah. Offense, defense. I haven't played her much, but I did enjoy playing her at uh, one point when I was getting. And, and the thing is, it's like somebody else will play May, so it's not a map choice. It's somebody's already picked May, and then competitive, you yeah. can't do two of the same. And you wouldn't want to do that anyway. So I'm trying to round out my roster a bit by finding some other characters that I like the character design. So that's my hangup. My hangup isn't okay. This is a playstyle that I like. I have to have a playstyle I like. It's not that this is a role that I like to fill. I have to have a role that I like to fill. And I have to like the character. Like, I have to be into the design of the character. The fact that May is a meteorologist and I used to be a weatherman is just like another layer on top of it. Yeah. The fact that May is called the Adora Troll um, is just another layer of, like, why I love this character, you know? I had the same problem with, like, ever playing Junkrat or Roadhog. It was like, I'm just not interested in this character design. Yeah, but they could be, be a really good Junkrat because Junkrat's a good counter to May. And I know all the stuff that Junkrat does to May. So I would probably do a good Junkrat to counter another May. But I just don't like that. So I'm trying Widowmaker because um, I'm not into Hanzo. Um, I'm not really. Like, that design isn't doing anything. Hanzo doesn't do anything for me. Um, and as a sniper, I don't know if that's going to stick. I tried Mercy for a bit. Um, tried Lucio for a bit. If I play Lucio, I got to get the wall running down. Like, I want to be a wall running. I don't running. have that yet. I, I want to be a wall running Lucio works. because it's so rare. But I can do, you can still do so much. Oh, yeah, you, you can do so much wall. more. Um, and the team always loves you anyway because you're. you're and you can knock people yeah. into pits. You can which, knock people into pits. <laughs> that, that is honestly what I like. Like, I've, I've started. This week they did a brawl where it's a random character. Yes, I hate And I, I actually like doing that. Like, I, I want to be diversified so I can come in and play some of these, you know, in quick play, not necessarily competitive play. But I do love the combos, like with Reinhardt or May or with Zarya. Where so like, on the one game I played on the brawl. How did you do that? <laughs> the one game I played on brawl, it started off, two of us as Symmetra, which is a character I'm playing a lot of, but you never need two Symmetras, okay? No. So two of us had to go into a control point map as Symmetra, okay? Then it made me May. I was like, okay, well, this isn't anything different. I could have just done this on my own. Um, and then when I died, it made me Symmetra again. Oh, at, like, the last, like, overtime is on the clock. We're both at 99% fighting over it. Great. I'm just going to go try to throw a bunch of turrets down in the middle of the checkpoint because Maybe what else can I do? Something. You know, like there's no way yeah. I'm going to get to a teleporter, you know, to even help that. It's past that point. So, yeah, that was, that turned me off from now. Um, other than Overwatch, anything? 
Not really, no. I've um, added an Overwatch, uh, which I'm going to try to stream a lot more. I'm going to get in the habit of just doing some nightly streaming. I've thought about uh, it, but I don't I'm know doing if there's from the anything where you just push a button. You well, know, that's so, true. Uh, it wouldn't be hard for me either. It's just like I no one wants to see this, and it's so random. that I think it's just a practice of getting better and talking by myself uh, on a game or, or, you know, like that. It's just a skill I want to work on. Because, um, I mean, we're doing a Let's Play channel as well. Uh, not we, but... Not, I'm yeah, doing I know what you're channel. saying. Yeah. Like, um, yes, all I'm going to say if I'm talking is, I am so bad at this, or why would you do that? Or, yeah. you know, it's not, not interesting. Or my team sucks. Yes. Like, well, where the <laughs> hell were you guys? I was on the payload. That's not interesting. That's not interesting. Um, I played um, Dead Space. So this is a game we got coming out for the channel, but... Uh, I love that game when it came out, uh, and it's it's actually not holding up as well. Uh, it ties into a little bit of, of our game this month, but uh, horror doesn't work well the second time through. Like, yeah. when you know what the way to fight the creatures in Dead Space, and this is the original Dead Space, um, when you know how to fight the creatures, you know where they're going to jump out, you know what the sequences are going to be, the, the quick timey events. I don't really have, like, straight-up quick-time events. They have a button mash when you get, like, um, uh, grappled, right, to break a grapple. But they do have sequences where something comes out and grabs your leg, and then you have to get off of it. But instead of um, a quick-time event, it's like a really weird rail shooter. Like, the thing is dragging you by the leg, so you're kind of being drugged through a hallway, and that's where you're on rails. But And the thing you're trying to shoot is, like, blowing parts of the arm grabbing you to blow it off so it'll let you go. Um, in a certain amount of time. Um, and that's kind of their version of quick time. But once you know all these are going to happen, and you take away the suspense, you realize the game is actually quite padded um, in a way I didn't remember it being the first time through. I didn't feel like the first Dead Space was that padded. Uh, but I can feel that going through a second time. But I imagine it's one of those things where it, it feels more padded than it would the original because you don't have that layer of suspense. Like, you know what's happening, so... Yeah, the original time, too, I didn't feel like it was padded. So that's kind of interesting to go back and replay that one. Um, I'm trying to think, has there been any other games we're talking about that I, I played? I, I mean, I've been playing a number of games, actually. I've been playing quite a few lately, but uh, I tried the PewDiePie uh, iOS game. I don't even know what that is. It's, it's run a YouTube studio. Well, I know who that is. I just yeah. don't know what the game... The game is run a YouTube studio. Oh. Yeah, so... But it's nothing but timers and bars, and um, the Kim Kardashian app has more personality, which I played that, too, because anytime an app gets crazy popular, I'm going to check it out just to see. You know, I played Love Live because, you know, it got crazy popular, and I'm just kind of curious to see what is it and what's going on. Um, so I don't think the PewDiePie app's actually going to have that much legs. Um his humor doesn't come across in video game form uh, at all. Um, even if you're way into it, like it's not him standing there as a pixelated person talking to you doesn't have like all the different weird jump cut stuff that he's doing. And I don't think it translates that well. And then the game is just timers. The game is just yeah. timers. The game, you know, you've played a million of these on the app store. So, um, I checked that out. I checked out um, also on the iOS store. I love fur. 
This is a game where it brings up a screen of fur, different kinds of fur, that you pet. And the creature, you don't see the creature, you just see like a piece of fur on the screen. We'll say, and these are weird things, these are like galactic space sea urchin, okay? Okay. With glowing tips on their fur. Is this like 3D rendered? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of 3D rendered. It looks like like a piece of fur, though. Like, it doesn't look like... There's no surrounding. It's not a drawing of a piece of fur. It looks like a piece of fur. It looks like a piece of fur. Um, I thought this was going to be about furries. Like, the fur goes the direction you pet it. You know, you make it swirl. And I'll say, like, I really like it if all my fur goes the same direction. And then so, like, the happiness meter starts to fill as you, like, get all the fur going the same direction and continue to stroke the creature or whatever. And then when you're done, if they're happy, they give you a little resume, a recommendation that you can take to another creature and be like, hey, you know, space urchin recommends me, you know? Like, oh, okay, well, then I want to be pet this way. It's really down-tempo and chill, and you can go into a mode where you just play with it. And there's some humor written. Clearly, um, on like the creatures themselves, like they have this weird list of like what their political views are, you know, like the space cucumber, you know, a gigantic cucumber is part of the Green Party, because of course it would be. Um, one of the uh, animals was bipolar. Um, it was like bipolar bear or something uh, was the creature's name, and they were part of the Democratic Republicans. Yes, because they're bipolar. Get the joke, you know, uh, going in there. There's a lot, a little bit of clever writing. You can sign them in on there, but um, I, it's free. Check it out. And it's kind of like a cool little mess around, put back in your pocket app. Um, it's a good look at this game, maybe not a game, maybe a weird thing, app, whatever, interesting inner piece of entertainment that's really great on mobile. That's like very small effort into it to design. I mean, you got to get it right, of course. But, I mean, as far as mechanics and, and systems and all that stuff, it's very small, very simple. And I think it's pretty popular. I think um, I've heard it talked in other podcasts, so I think it's doing doing okay. There is like an in-app purchase for something. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm waiting for the um, Yeti unlocks like next week. So uh, there'll be a Yeti I can send my resume to, you know, and get the pet. This, the more you explain this, it simultaneously sounds weirder and less weird. I don't, I, I just. Oh, so let's get into uh, amnesia. And I think since it's you and I, let's take a different tact. Okay. Instead of you go, then the next person goes, the next person. That works when there's a bunch, but if it's down to like two. Let's sort of move chronologically through what happened in the game. Because one thing we haven't done on these podcasts... That's how I've made my notes. Is it? That, I took all my notes less. chronologically, too. Funny how that works. Because um, then I try to reorganize Well, I mean, them. I didn't re- try to reorganize Yeah, them so normally I try to reorganize them by topic. Uh, but instead of doing that, let's take it chronologically through the game. But also spend some time talking about what's going on in the game. Because we don't actually do that. So there may be people who listen to podcasts, and they don't care about the spoilers, even though they've never played it. Yeah. But since we don't talk about the game, they never played it, there's nothing they gain from the podcast. That's going to be interesting for me because I got about four hours in. And I think there are some I'll things that I from don't you got to. quite understand that yeah. you may be able to shed more light on. So the game opens up and your character is talking to himself. 
reminding himself that I am Daniel. I am Daniel. I am whatever my last name is. I was born this date. I must remember, and I must kill. Oh, what's the dude's name that he must kill? Alexander. Alexander. I'm Daniel, and I must kill Alexander. I'm Daniel, I must kill Alexander. And I actually made a prediction at this point. I'm like, because he says all this stuff, and then it goes black, and then you wake up like, you're not Daniel, but the game wants you to think you are. It kicks off heavy into unreliable narrator. Yes. Okay? But unlike most unreliable narrator setups, most um, Lovecraftian pure, let's call it, yes. more traditional of that. They save the unreliable narrator as a reveal in the plot. Right. Amnesia does a really cool thing of starting out the very beginning of going, boom, your narrator's unreliable. And it's like that recontextualizes every piece of information that you come across in the narrative because of the story. Because he forgets, because he doesn't know what's going on. Yes. Um, the spoiler bit here. Um, is you could piece this again, or I played this game completely through twice now. So I played it before we ever even, I played it on my own, and then I replayed it for the podcast. Um, so on the second playing, some things make more sense now. You have more information. And what you are getting is the blackout is him taking the amnesia pill. Okay, I got that So much. Daniel voluntarily erasing his memory, and then you're waking back up, hopefully remembering, I got to kill Alexander. Because that's the one thing you tried to focus on to remember and let everything else fall away. Because if you knew the other stuff, you might not kill Alexander. And as that becomes unveiled, as you go more in the story... It kind of becomes critical. It's like, what is the other stuff? Yes. Because I can't, I know this guy's unreliable. You told me at the start, he may be the bad guy. And Alexander may be the good one. So um, after that opening scene, you come back up and you start like getting the tutorial of moving around, picking up items. It's, it's, it's adventure gamery. Um, yes. It is pretty much adventure game. You'll have an inventory. You'll find items that, that you combine or solve puzzles with. Um, and, and progress through sort of levels. They are kind of gated and staged. You don't backtrack through an open world. Um, it is pretty much you're in a castle when you start. And you're on the upper floors of the castle and kind of like the study area and the living quarters. Uh, and, and you're starting to make your way down uh, to um, some catacombs and things underneath the castle. When you come to, you are very woozy from the pill. And the effects of the amnesia pill um, are communicated by giving you, let's say, 80% control of the camera. Yes. Now, we have That's... a member who didn't get very far in the game uh, because they actually got nausea from the camera, which I can understand completely. Yes. Um, it's done very heavy and hard right at the front. And actually, that was one of the things that I was not a huge fan of. Like, I I did come to like that effect when they did it later in the game because it, it kind of felt like that sort of adrenaline surge, that surge of anxiety that, you know, something is happening. I don't know what I'm dealing with. Early on, and, and this was, I think, a lot of the, the, the case, um, or the case with a lot of other things where 
it just like some of the stuff early on didn't click for me. I think it doesn't work early on because you do not know you just took the amnesia pill and it's the effect right. from the amnesia pill. There's nothing to clue that in. Is everything going to be slightly off center the whole time? Right. Is this yeah. going to be the whole game going to play this way? Um, and the game is trying to show two things. If you're in the dark, you start to see things and get woozy. Um, yes. And that's basically your Cthulhu game Sanity, Sanity Meter, mechanic. you know. Uh, yeah. And also, um, like you said, if there's tense things going on or stuff like that, or just the wild Lovecraftian stuff going on, that that is you not able to cope with it. Later in the game, they tie in with these moments that make sense to you because you have the context for why it's, it's, it's happening again. Yeah, like You've why either- it has affected you so wandered badly. too far away from light you know now you're all in the darkness or you know there's a zombie dude trying to break in your door right now and yes uh, that, that is upsetting it so i don't fault anyone actually for that like it actually does have a rough start i think the game yeah and i think i think um well actually one of the notes i made like i i'm woozy but i can still jump like it's no problem so i'm kind of like this kind of feels like a weird mixture um, to just turn it on a little bit. I think it's its own engine, but it very much has the feeling of a uh, Valve Source Engine game. Yeah. Like in rendering and then like, oh, this is the Valve Source Engine, just you have jump and you have crouch. Why? Right. Because that's the Valve Source Engine. That's what you have. Does it make any sense to crouch in like the beginner's guide? No. No. But you have it. But you have it because that's just the default set. Um, um, the other the other note I made about the dark, since you were talking about that, it definitely did feel like it was trying to go for that Call of Cthulhu sanity mechanic. And again, like I love the Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu RPG for that because it forces you to play a character that is not heroic, is not the superhuman character. It's you, and it's what you would do in this situation. You have to make decisions based on that. Um in this game, especially early on, it felt like you were trading off these light items to prevent sanity loss. And it was kind of this, like, um, um, resource management type of thing early on that I didn't know exactly how it worked. Like, I didn't know how badly light, darkness was going to affect me. And that sort of, like, colors how you first approach this game. Like, if, if you hadn't played this game before, if you played similar games, if you played Call of Cthulhu, if you played other games and realized the slight mechanic was going to be a thing, the resource manager was a thing, you might start a game and use your tinder boxes yes. and your lantern extremely sparingly because you know, like, there's going to become a moment where it'd be good to have, like, 20 of these and just yeah. light up an area. I actually did the opposite. I used them really quickly because I thought, one, maybe this is part of the puzzle. Kind of like in Zelda, you light something light up and open and then, yeah. up. Um, and I also was like, well, okay, how much darkness, how much light counts as light and how much darkness does it take to actually severely affect me? Um, and so, you know, early on, and I didn't even have the context. And I think that was the the issue I had with it was it, it did feel like that sanity mechanic but I didn't have a context. Right. There's no explicit meter anywhere on the screen. The only thing you can do is if you go to your inventory, and you may not even realize this, you go into your inventory, there's a heart and a brain. In your yes, I did screen, finally figure that out. And if you read it, there's a text description of feels fine, slight headache, 
everything's woozy, you know. Yeah, or dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and then there's dot, 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 which is like you're off the rails right now. Uh, But there's not a meter or values that you can experiment with and go, do I just have to stand in the light? Do I have to look at the light? Right. Because I never figured out exactly the mechanics. So I was scared into the light because playing other games by Frictional Studios, uh, Frictional Studios, um, in uh, Penumbra, uh, the insanity mechanic isn't, I think there might be light and dark. There may not be. I can't remember which way it is. Right. But the one that I remember in Penumbra is looking at a, a hideous beast causes right. insanity. So it actually does a really cool thing. The effect is like you hear something hideous, you hide behind a crate and then stare at your feet. While you, so you listen look to the thing it. go down, and it's like it's really good because that thing can look like anything. I'm not going to look at it because the insanity right. would meter would spike. Um, so from that, knowing I, it was where I was looking, I focused on looking on the torches in the insanity moments. Yeah, and that was actually um, like in Call of Cthulhu, the idea of sanity is like you were learning things, man, that was not meant to know. You are seeing things that just don't make sense. When you start applying that to darkness, it it felt flat early on because I didn't have the context of like, why am I so scared of the dark? What have I seen that that terrifies me? And the end result early on, and again, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It was just how things started out. I actually did like the mechanic later on, but it was like, I'm just annoyed at dark areas because, you know, I not only can't see, but I know that somehow it's damaging me and... Really, this again? Okay, I'll use a tinder box, whatever. Um, so you kind of move around up there. You find some notes that start setting a background uh, as to what's going on. You find diary notes that start setting up that uh, Daniel had a trip uh, to an archaeological dig site. Uh, and yeah. In that site, in, encountered an orb, a mystical object, which uh, upon touching it, it shattered. Um, and that has set things into motion uh, of basically, and I don't know at what point it gets solidified. It's, I don't think it gets solidified in the beginning, but of a shadow now that is Lovecraftian. So it's right. not like a literal thing or a little person. It's just creepy stuff and weird things that have to happen. And basically that um, people are dying that he talks to about what he saw down there and what happened and trying to figure out what went, what went on and, and things like that and piece it together. Um, and this, um, Alexander who lives in this castle. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly where the castle is supposed to be. They give some location. He said like Aldstadt, which was in, I guess I'm pronouncing that right, which is in Prussia, which I don't know exactly where that, I'm assuming that's somewhere like like Germany. Yeah, yeah, the weird Romanian, Transylvanian vibe area. Um, Prague, you know, um, you know, old castle there. And he responds back to one of Daniel's letters um, saying, I know exactly what you're talking about. Come see me. Uh, Because he has experience in, in working with this. So that's why Daniel is at the castle um, to try to understand what this orb was, but also what is this shadow following him? Um, and Alexander's promising help. Alexander's yes. promising a way to, to fight off the shadow um, or prevent the shadow from... Because uh, eventually the shadow's going to catch up and uh, kill uh, Daniel or suck him into whatever Lovecraftian... Bad things horror, are going to happen. Yeah. yeah. 
dimension that he's going to be in there. So also while picking up some of the story, um, some other threads develop in the first level uh, of different characters that came to the castle at different times, and, and you'll eventually learn their fates. I don't know if any of them is worth specifically calling out or mentioning, um, except for Wilhelm. I do uh, remember that. Wilhelm gets about. mentioned a lot, uh, and the reason I say that, I don't know if you played far enough, uh, you'll meet Wilhelm. I did not. You'll find Wilhelm. I don't um, think, actually. So yeah, we'll, you, we'll get to it. You start realizing that Alexander had a partner, possibly mentor, some other relationship with this person, Wilhelm, uh, that knew a lot more and that they had a falling out. Like they, they had something that happened and you're piecing that together. Uh, eventually around the top, you come to, I think, like the first legitimate puzzle, which is in the library um, with the books. Now, I don't remember how long it took me the first time to get through this. But I know I went through it very fast the second time. But yeah. For you, do you remember this puzzle? Um, you I actually pull do. Three books off the shelf. Yeah, because he made it very clear, like, oh, you have to pull them in a certain order, or not a certain order, but in a certain amount of time, or else you'll have to. It, it very clearly spells out what this is going to be, which was actually good. I think I got stuck where I pulled them, heard the little thing rolling, and then was not able to pull pull them all in time the first time. And the second time I went around, it, it seemed like it was harder to do. Like I had to stand to the side and pull, you know, it was, it was kind of confusing, but I think it was a physics thing. Um, so the thing I think that puzzle is actually doing a really good job of setting up is that sound effect. Because that yes. sound effect will be used a lot more to let you know whatever you just pulled is a timed thing. Like you pull the lever that's a door is opening and is going to close when this sound stops. And they don't have to explain that or set that up because they explicitly, uh, it's, a, it's a letter from Alexander that yeah. also gives a reason why it's this way. Because of like the things that we're doing, we have to hide and we have to hide them well. So there's an excuse as to why there's going to be all these weird puzzle rooms to get through um, because Alexander... Um, was hiding whatever's down in the catacombs that you're working towards. Uh, I will say one thing early on, and, and this kind of comes up with like having all these manipulatable objects in the game. I'm very used to Skyrim, so you know, and things like you know, things like that. So you're like, if you're coming from an RPG background, it feels really weird to have all these boxes that you can't open and books. And at some point, you kind of have to re frame that context and go like, all right, this is, you know, this, this doesn't want me to pick up all of these things just because I can ma manipulate doesn't mean it's important. It feels like a sort of a letdown until you realize what the game is doing. Yeah. Anything that you need to interact with actually glows. Yes. I did figure um, that out. So like, that's it. Otherwise, um, and this is true in older games. Um, you can pretty much physics interact, pick up, throw anything, you know, chairs will break. Um, you could throw them at creatures to, to try to get away, although I never really... I never got uh, that to work. Uh, yeah, I never caused enough damage for the creatures to care if that's where we were... If that's the moment... If that's what we were down to, yes. yeah, it's too late. Um, so, uh, the, um, there are a few places where, like, stacking uh, crates and boxes solve a puzzle. Yes, that, um, I did understand. And sometimes it's like it gets you an extra note or a bit of lore text, and it's not a critical path puzzle, yeah. uh, which I thought was interesting. I do like 
the, the interaction that they have in their games. All their games have this interaction of you move the um, cursor, the center point, because uh, you can play this with the mouse or with the controller, and I actually like playing with the controller. Uh, I did too. Uh, so you move the center point um, over whatever object, and then you hit the button, and that is grabbing it. And then at that point, uh, you can then move it around. If it's a drawer, you can open it, door, push it open, close it, uh, and, and go through all these things. Uh, and it works really well, actually. It works kind of really fluid, and it just seamlessly goes between, like, okay, the uh, left stick should be moving my character versus the left stick should be moving this object. Uh, right. And I never really have to think about it, uh, which is, to me, a really good sign of having this way. And I find it kind of makes the whole thing more immersive. The, yes. the ability to like move everything around the desk and, and you know knock things over and pull out all the drawers. On the flip side, I have a habit. I need to go through every single drawer. Yes. And every now and then there's a tinderbox in a drawer. So I'm rewarded for that behavior. I'll continue doing it. You kind of get an idea or a feel of how things are hidden. Like stuff won't be... You know, stuff might be hidden in a drawer, but stuff won't be, like, hidden two shelves back necessarily. No, it'll if, be um, visible if and, you know where to look. And I think, you know, in, in the things I'm saying like this are not necessarily complaints. It's just, like, I need to kind of calibrate what genre this is to understand what this game is trying yeah, to do. We should talk maybe a little bit more at the start, but the reason for selecting this game was... Um, this one in particular, although the number came before it and number is very similar, this one in particular is the one that kind of caught fire a little bit, and there's a lot of indie horror games post-Amdesia. Yeah. Um, and then you can even say, like, Until Dawn is like a AAA game, or like the AAA coming in, and, like, adventure horror is where it's at. And really, you talk about the adventure games' death, right? There's this period, oh, adventure games die. They actually didn't. They just sort of became like horror niche, became the way of adventure games. So one of the reasons to play Amnesia, even if you don't like horror, is just ways to do adventure games and adventure game puzzles that aren't hunting and pecking for weird pixels or adventure game logic of why yeah. would you combine these things, you know? Now, the flip side of that is the, the theme of horror kind of gives adventure games a lot of leeway to do the things they want it to do, you know? Yes. Like, in horror, getting a drill to corkscrew into a man's head to drain his blood because it has an antibody in it that's going to let you move to the toxin room makes a little bit more sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, but just in, in general, context like, of the story, there, there's a lot of stuff like pulling books to get into a secret area, or, or like building the drill so you can open up the 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 canister and whatever yep, and yep. get it, and you know, like that would that would probably be, I don't want to say more boring, but yeah, it probably would fall a little bit flat. You know, unless you have that sense of like, I have to do this quick. I have to figure out, you know, there aren't a lot of options. It's kind of, again, why I like Call of Cthulhu as a role-playing game because it forces you, it puts you inside of a box and navigating that box and understanding what that, you know, what you can do with limited resources is interesting compared to I'm the most 
powerful character anywhere. So, you know, we have to have similarly epic battles and epic, you know, story or uh, mechanics. It's a nice change of pace. So moving, once you get to the puzzle um, and you kind of end the chapter or two, you very quickly will get into a, a large room that yeah. is the first of a good number to follow of hub rooms. Yes. Where the levels are designed, and, and a complaint I have against this game, or um, a, a, a criticism I can have, a negative criticism I can have in the game, is it does the linear path really well, and it doesn't do it enough. It instead relies on this archetype where you come into the room, there's like four doorways out of the room, okay? There's one doorway that's like down some stairs, and it's the obvious door forward and it needs some kind of key in this case it's pink goo right it's just stretched all over uh the cave behind the door and you can't get past this stuff because it hurts you when you touch it and then you go into the surrounding other rooms to get an inventory item that either lets you into another room up there or becomes a piece of the puzzle that's going to unlock the final room yeah so it becomes this like mini build the triforce over and over again right of like key loops key loops of go get the items in these surrounding rooms which are just loops it does i don't want to make it sound like it's terrible because it's not because the rooms are thought out really well as to what was going on in this room and that really does a good job of okay if we have a lab over here and it will have the chemicals that you need to create something that will burn the pink goo down so you can pass, the notes you find will be in some way related to the lab experiments that also happened in that lab. And there's a good reason for that lab to exist here versus just it's randomly here. I did have to. I I do think that is the reason I had to console a walkthrough a couple of times because if something is linear, you kind of know okay, I can trace my steps back. I can see where I'm supposed to do this piece and this piece and find this piece. In this, there were a lot of cases of like, well, I know I've got this chemical pot and I know this note mentions a bunch of chemicals. Where do I use this chemical pot? Oh, wait a minute. I actually have, you know, let me consult a walkthrough to figure that out. Or, you know, oh, here's flow control for the elevator. I know I have to find these rods you know, I know I have to, but I didn't run across those notes, so I'm just going to have to visit every area again to figure out what Correct. I Correct. And there's a problem, too, where depending on the order that you go in the areas, if you don't find yes. a note that says these are the things you need to make a chemical acid that you then figure out will burn the pink stuff. Oh, that was obvious to me. Like, oh, yeah. Um, if you don't find that note. Right, you don't find the thing that sets up the little mini quest, and you go down a different room that just has one part of the key, finds a couple rods. So you go back in this room, you go down to the end of it, you find a couple rods on the shelf. Okay, cool, got some rods. Those will be important later. There's nothing to let you know. That's it. Like you found everything that's defined in this. This this area is a dead end, and then you can spend a lot of time. Um, and in these satellite areas, there's where you'll run encounter the monsters. Yes. Um, that are roaming that in this game you have to run from you cannot attack i um, thought that was really good i think it's really good too because it wasn't too deadly um for the most part they weren't too deadly uh now you can break immersion in this game if you experiment a little bit with the monsters 
Okay. okay. There's no penalty for death. Right. If no, you pick I ran up into the that item, a lot. Uh, if you pick up the item, uh, you're done. And sometimes, like, it's very tedious to find a spot, hide, get the monster away from me. Some of the monsters seem to have an immense amount of range and will chase you all the way through the level. Uh, when it feels like, I went around the corner and I'm in the dark now and... Like, how does it know where I am? How does I thought- it know where I am? Also, I have no other method of of doing that. Um, and so in my playthrough that's actually going up on, on the video game channel uh, as we speak, you'll see there becomes points where I just decide to let the monster kill me. Like rather than run, yeah. they just go ahead and kill me because the other thing is that the monster doesn't come back in the same location. It's randomized. So... If you roll into this area, I'm like, oh, this monster, I can't get to this room. You know what? Kill me. Because I know when I come down here, good chance you won't be here. I can run and get the item and then progress. I had that happen a couple of times. And that really breaks the immersion because I then mechanicize. Is that a word? Can I mechanicize? Mechanicalize? Sure. I mechanicalize. I um, just make a system out of the horror, and the horror is no longer scary. It's just a yeah. system that works this way. And I've actually found a way to conquer this system. I actually appreciated that. And I mean, this may be coming from a different perception of it, where I I think it was, I think my first encounter with a monster was actually in the storage area. And I somehow got away from it. Like it hit me a couple times and I was able to run away and things were fine. I was like, oh man, that's terrifying. But at least it wasn't a one hit kill. It actually takes a lot of hits. Yeah. Yeah, it is like a... You're a lot tougher than the woozy camera and the effects make it seem. But it's good because it means like monsters... It's not like a a punishing stealth game. No, I think they want you to get hit a couple times, feel like you're on the verge of death and just got away. And they do that well. It's just that if you actually... What happens if I just die and then you realize nothing? Yes. That it can undo... The tension they built so well up until that point. Although what I was going to say However, is like the... I'm not arguing that the game needs to be more difficult because that's what the easy answer to right. this problem would be is like, we'll make it so the monster's always there and he's guarding things. Well, my experience though was the other way with that mechanic where um, I think it was first with the water monster. It also happened when I retrieved the flow control lever- levers where I died a whole bunch of times trying to get through this area and then at one point I came back and there didn't seem to be a monster. It wasn't there. It was somewhere else. And what that almost, and again, like it's randomization, but it felt like it could be. The monsters around the castle just somewhere else. Right. It almost felt like it could be a system that the game put in place to go like, okay, you've died enough. That's fine. Keep going. But I liked it because, you know, like by the time that the horror wore off and I was experiencing frustration, it was gone and I could progress. I could experience the next thing. The monster did what it needed to do. There's a point in the games, um, in all the frictional games, where I stopped playing for um, the horror aspect. I'm really not into horror games, you know? Yeah. I take or leave them. Um, They tell some really interesting stories. You know, they tell a really cool story, and they usually have a really cool twist uh, that I kind of like. Or I like mentally solving the puzzle of what's going on more than any puzzle in the game. And once you sort of realize it, or these things wear off, or they just, it lets you get in there and like, 
Okay, we'll just advance a chapter. You know, yeah. you you know what you know what you need to do. You know what you need to get. We're not here to test your skill to get it. Yes, I also appreciated that when they revealed story. I mean, this this kind of sounds bad, but it wasn't. It was mysterious, and you could put things together. Like they kept talking about the orb. Like you could see it in the Book of Monarchs. You could see, you know. It obviously had, it was this worldwide thing, which of course is very Lovecraftian, but it was also not, it was mysterious without being so obtuse that I'm just like, uh, you know, like I could finish this and I still won't understand the story. Right, right. Yeah. They do a good job at that. Um, So uh, on this level in the storage area, uh, the monster that's down there, uh, I ran into like a game breaking bug um, on that, in that. I ran into, I ran from it, right? It takes a couple of yeah. swipes, which almost may be a scripted event. Like, you're going to get seen by this thing. Um, and on the way out, I made a wrong turn and ran into one of the storage rooms that has no exit. And it was dark in the room. I hadn't lit anything. So I immediately closed the door behind me and crouched in a corner. Um, and then I think I lit a small candle that was in the room just to sort of like keep sanity. And I was hovering by the, can- uh, the candle to keep my sanity. And the thing was banging on the door. Yeah. And it would never leave. And it was, I was like, is there a proximity bug here where I can't back away far enough from him to stop chasing me? Or maybe he's scripted to never give up because it seemed like some of them might have had that scripted moment of never giving up. Um, I actually loaded and reloaded the game. And when I came back in, he was still there, but he was able to break down the door that time. So then when she broke in, I just accepted the sweet release of death um, because I already had the item I needed uh, and then turned around and walked out. That's interesting because in the storage area, like... He chased me into a room that had a bunch of shelves. I could kind of maneuver around to avoid. And I tried throwing something at the monster, like, oh, maybe this will kill it. And of course it didn't. Um, But for me, that was a really good moment because I get hit a couple times, somehow maneuver around. I feel like I've done something smart. I've done something different. And I just escaped the area, and I end up having to come back later because I missed a bunch of stuff. I think it would have been that, too, if it didn't hit the bug. If it had banged on the door and then moved on because I'm heading yeah. in the dark and it lost track of me, I would have felt really clever of like, okay, I got away. There it is. Okay, I can make a run for the door right now and get yes. out of the zone, you know, uh, which is kind of what my plan was. Um, but I just wanted to point that out because if somebody else hits that, that you can just... Um, save and reload the game. And the game is liberal. You can save anywhere. Yep. Um, in fact, the game doesn't have save slots or any kind of save system. You're either playing a story or you're starting a new game. Like, it doesn't... There's no need to, like, save scum and go back and you can't make that kind of mistake. Um, the only mistake I guess you could really make is maybe you used all of your tinder boxes up and you would really need some of that or you're really out of lantern oil. Yeah. Um, but... I that it it's around a lot. Like there is a point where I ran out of tinder boxes because I started just lightning like crazy and not paying attention anymore. And I ran out and I'm like, oh, I gotta slow down. And I got them all back. Um, so I think you burn through the pink stuff, and then I think you get to the next area, which is the elevator room. You're talking about yeah. the control rods. There's actually a couple things between that. Uh, one okay. was that the the water area where they've got the water monster that. Seems is, is the water? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. There's a water area up top because there is another like 
um, sewage like water zone you come to yeah. where like there's a central drainage area that's your hub room and you're lowering like ladders and bridges. I don't know if you've got to that room. No, I don't. Okay, yeah. So there's, yes, there's the one up top with the thing in the water. Yes, that you can't see. You can't see. It which, just makes a splash and does damage to you. Which struck me as like, this was the point I was like, man, they seem to be getting really Lovecraftian because that kind of reminded me of like the Dunwich Horror or something where the investigators, you know, realize that this thing is invisible and they need an item to yeah, it's, deal it's, with it. I think it's actually really good because it, it's even a second time through and knowing that mechanic uh, and knowing what I was going to have to do to get to that area. It's still tense anytime you're in the water for a few seconds to like that, or you miss a jump and you land in the water. Um, even though, once again, it takes a lot to actually kill you. Yes. But you're like, I don't know what that is, but it's over there. You know, um, later in the level, as you're moving around the level, you can get um, body parts and pieces of meat that I don't know if you realize you can throw in the water and distract the thing. I did, but it didn't necessarily do that much or didn't seem to do that much and i i kind of had that problem in a lot of cases where it was like well okay it says i've turned my lantern off and i'm crouching but it still found me you know what you know you're not necessarily sure what triggers it triggers it and it's like it's buggy but at the it it may be buggy but at the same time thematically it kind of works now this stage this area does have some of the um one of the worst mechanics that has been in almost all the frictional games they've done. And that is they have um, a wheel you have to turn to open a door. Yes. And we're going to put a time constraint of a thing chasing you or something. Yeah. And the control seems to forget which way you're turning a lot of times. And all of a sudden, you're going the same direction. Like, you just can't hold it left or right. You have to, right. like circle around that i actually had a note of that around too fast and then it will like get out of control and maybe it's intended i don't know maybe it's like you're circling too fast you're clearly panicked so your character would be panicked and not get the door open but um it's kind of frustrating because it's like it's not hard especially playing with the thumbstick to move that thing in a perfect circle and then the game and starts it wasn't even, going backwards. It wasn't even obvious that you had to turn it in a circle because I feel like there were a couple of other handles elsewhere where it was like, no, nah, you can just hold right. You can just hold left fine. or right and it works. Um, yeah, I actually had a note about that. And that was the point like where I just kept getting killed and I was just less horrified by the monster by, than frustrated the, the fact I was it getting cheap It never fails. The water temple level is always the worst. Fair enough. And, and like, yes. I think that was my comment on getting out of that zone was like, please, no more water levels. Like, stop doing this. You know, I get the appeal of the mechanics, but no, like, they're not fun to play. Yep. Um, anything else in these waterways that you're working your way through? Um, Do you I, have any notes of, like, what zone is, is actually next? I think there was a zone after that where it was just basically a chase level. Like, you had to keep moving. Oh, yeah. Is this, like, the prison zones? Might be. It may have been before the prison. Okay. But I, I felt like that was good because yeah. it, it did it forced you into a different kind of That's the situation. linear stuff I was talking about. Like it does really well of keeping it tense and you move through, but it's really the level is kind of linear, even if it doesn't feel linear. 
the path is, is, is yes. a linear path. And that's actually what bothered me because I'm like, I feel like I'm missing so much. But then you realize, like, no, this is what I'm supposed to This do. is what you're supposed to be doing. This is just a stage uh, to move through. Because um, it keeps the tension high. And a way that the hub room designs do not. Like, the hub rooms, right. as soon as you enter it, you're like, okay, this is the hub. I'm safe in the hub. There's never a monster in the hub. Although, in some cases, I think, I think that sort of rhythm works. Because I noticed when, like, when I was in the machine room. I know I was wandering around there going up and down because that took me a while to figure out. And I was like, well, this, you know, like, I know there's not a monster in here. But I still can't escape that feeling of, like, I'm being watched, you know, because of things that had happened before. Um, it gets into some, uh, like, the elevator room and stuff like that, get into some, uh, and, and the elevator access to the garage. It does get into some novel puzzles. I kind of liked, um, but nothing was overly complex. Like the the hardest one I made a counter was there was one where you had to have it add up to like five up top yeah, and eight, eight on bottom eight. or eight and eight or something like that. It was not obvious. Well, it was obvious once I found the note, but I ended up looking at the walkthrough for something else before that. Um, what I did really like, um, let me see, let me... See if I had anything else on the machine room before I move on. Yeah, the machine room fetch quests were, they had some good moments and they had some bad moments. One of the things I really liked was um, when you finally get into the closet in the guest room and there's a monster, I think there's a moment where there's a monster chasing you or you start yes. hearing a noise and he says quick hide and you jump in the closet or I jumped in the closet. I yeah. Don't know yeah there might be some other places to hide in that room, but yes, yeah. I jumped in the closet. And that was just, it's so effective because it's this simple moment. I like, I literally just moved into a piece of scenery and closed the door and the music's heightened and then it calms and down. And the sounds outside. But you don't know when the music goes back to low and the sounds go away of like, is it safe? Yes, and you're peeking out. And if I out peek and out and I see like eye to eye contact, I got nowhere to run. Like this was it. This is the one. I'm in the dead end, right? And um, this is a trope done in a lot of like hide in the locker, hold the yeah. button to not breathe, you know, type things that the um, Resident Evil games or the Silent Hill games it's have done. Seen. But this is done in a way that kept the tension and didn't feel video yes. gamey, you know? Cause I guess because you didn't do anything, really. But it's really funny because as, as you know, a game designer, you look at it and go, like, this mechanically, in terms of, of you know, raw assets and code and stuff, like, this is, this is stupid. I am hiding in a piece of scenery. But in game terms, you get so much more leverage out of that than you would, you know, an actual fight. And I think, I think one... You know, this is one of the things the game does well is they take they pick up that Lovecraftian idea of you avoid the descriptions of the monsters. You know, in Lovecraft, it is, you know, he talks in oxymorons, unnatural angles, you know, things like that, that kind of allows him to describe this sense of weirdness without actually trying to put a description to something that he is saying is unfathomable, fathomable, because... You know, if if in that moment you actually saw the monster, it would take something away from it. Right, because, I mean, the, the game is low poly. 
Yeah. And even in a high poly game, like, that's, that's the thing. Like, uh, Extra Credits has the whole video ranting on how Cthulhu's done wrong in games. Because yeah. Cthulhu is always personified. And yes, there is a personification of for Cthulhu. There is a yeah. actual being described in the books. But the terror of Cthulhu is what it could be, not what it is. And as soon as you give it a health bar and a physical form, and you're like, oh, that's not that scary. Yeah, you know, it, it can be big. If it has a health bar, you can fill it. Yeah, exactly. You start to rationalize like yeah. how you can deal with this thing. As long as it's unknown, you can't rationalize it. Because any idea you come up with, you don't even know if that's something you could do. Yeah, like, and and that is one of the the ideas that, and I think this game does it well. It's one of the, the things in Lovecraftian kind of the mythos is once you start realizing that these things exist, what else can exist? You right. never know. Like, right. And I, th- I do think it does work to the game developer's advantage, like you said, because you don't have to create, you know, that complicated creature and avoid making it look cartoony avoid the uncanny valley you just have to have some good sound effects some good scenes and give the player the impression that it's horrifying because the other thing that's coming up behind you like once you solve an area the shadow is catching up to you you do get confirmation later in the game that that is that is the shadow okay the pink goo and and it just taking over the area is sort of like this Lovecraftian reality crashing in to to overtake. Right. Um, and that is not really well defined. It's ex- very undefined. Um, yeah. I mean, at some point it kind of made like pink goo. That seems weird. But then you once you kind of accept that it's Lovecraftian, you're like, no, that kind of makes sense because he's got all these weird sorts of beings Things going on. You know, yeah. it's not. It's not traditional horror, it's unnatural physics and other dimensions um, presented as. Just as we're going through, story-wise, uh, around this time, around to these different levels that we're discussing, uh, the main beats that get picked up is um, uh, Alexander uh, and Daniel, um, although Daniel's involvement becomes much clearer later, um, were uh, using the local population um, to do these experiments upon uh, to harness there. And they are bringing in uh, criminals and scum. So they're bringing in uh, murderers and and things like that. Um, That one of Alexander's duties as the the castle lord is, you know, uh, serving as, like, there's prisons and dungeons, you know, and he's locking up the guilty down there. but they have to, you know, dispose of the bodies discreetly and things like that as well. And that's going on. And then also in the Alexander Wilhelm thread, uh, you learn that Alexander Wilhelm had an orb as well. Uh, there there yes. was an orb that they had uh, and that there was a there's an attempt for a gateway or a process, a transformation to open up. Because you do get the idea that Alexander is immortal at this point. Yes. They've- it, Almost a lot explicitly of of said like, that he's been the lord always of the castle. Like it's like, how did he come to do it? Nobody knows how this guy came to own the castle, but he's the owner of the castle. He always has been, um, and that you get the sense too that Wilhelm is also of this sort of immortal uh, uh, make, and that whatever portal or something they were trying to open up 
Um, Wilhelm did not want Alexander going through it. Uh, and, and there's more to it. Like, it seems like maybe Alexander was banished um, and that they don't want him going back. Uh, it sounded like there was a third-party person at some point who did use up the other orb to get back um, out. Um, I, I can't remember that name. It comes up at the very end, too. Um, like, there was another part. There was, like, a trio. Uh, and one of them got across to the portal. Um, and that kind of shattered the orb they had. And that Is Alexander, it the one that's, like, this very Roman name or something? I, I want to say, remember. yeah. It was, because, like, A-something or other. Yes. Can't remember the name. Yes, it is that name. Agrippa. Uh, Agrippa. That's exactly it. Um, no, no, no. I may be mixing them up. Um, is that actually a name that I remember that right? Agrippa may be the one that doesn't want Alexander crossing. Yes, he was partnered with Alexander. Alexander and Agrippa are partnering. Wilhelm is the one that crossed, I believe, the threshold. I believe I've got that right in the names. Um, I should have had these notes. Um, but yeah, whichever character, uh, one made it across, um, yes, I believe it's Wilhelm that, that made it across, uh, the planes or whatever into whatever they're going to. Um, and so you learn that basically that Alexander has been waiting centuries for another orb to turn up to get a second crack at things, which is why he had the interest in Daniel. Uh, basically getting Daniel's orb uh, and being able to use it, or that there was another orb and that it was chasing Daniel. Um, the shadow was not chasing Daniel, and that was going to be his orb to get his second crack at crossing the barrier. Um, Agrippa did not cross uh, the barrier, so uh, Wilhelm did. So Agrippa's the one you'll, you'll run into later, and, and Wilhelm uh, made it across. So I did have that backwards from what I said earlier. What's after these stages? The prison? Um, well, I had one more thing in the machine. Was the machine room before the prison? No, it was. Okay, let me, let me, I've got some more notes about the machine room. Um, I will say some of the fetch quests there got a little bit weird. Like the, the one where you're able to, you have to break the window just never occurred to me when I, uh, you know, and also the explosive sequence of like, you know, oh, blowing the rocks up. Yeah, like these things are. You know, I, I I saw the thing about the the. You know the the valve is rusted shut, and but it just never occurred to me like that these vats hold explosive material. Like it. Yeah, I I guess the only clue that the game might have provided is that it looked very similar to the corrosive explosive material that you had made up earlier with the chemical concoctions. Um, okay. And that these would be the same concoctions that had been made because you were producing them. Okay. Um, Primary, secondary. That's, that's like a really detailed, read all the logs, read all the diaries, put it yeah. together. Um, and to be fair, that's something that happened in a lot of old adventure games a lot. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes just, you don't get what the designer was trying to Completely to obtuse. Um, I did have a realization in the machine room of like, whenever you see a gear in an adventure game you know you're going to have to pick it up. It's it's the adventure game version of the puzzle piece because it's, you know, something so that can later, fit into an existing system. Later, there's a machine you have to repair in, like, the final stage. Mm -hmm. And you just start going down the hall, and there's, like, 25 gears all over the place. Really? And it's almost like 
okay, you know if you were going to see one gear, what was going to come up. So, screw it. Here's 25 gears. Grab any of them. Put it on the machine. Yes. You know, we're beyond making you go. Because it felt like at first it's like, oh, man, am I going to have to, like, figure out the big gear to the small gear to this to get, like, the yeah. super right? And it's like, no, it just needs a gear. Or no, make- actually, I think in that one, you break a gear off a machine. You don't actually have to put one on. Um, okay, that's but, kind of backwards. But yeah. you know that it's a machine, but so it does you, something. You see these gears, and I knew on my second time through that you would have to get gears or pipes or different things from other rooms. And so I would begin like, um, is this the room? The elevator room is the one that has all the pipe puzzles too, right? Where you walk into a zone and there's like four side rooms that you have to lower and raise um, some uh, like dumb waiters and get them balanced and even to no, mirror. No, that's, that's not it, I don't think. I thought there was an elevator that goes down. There is an elevator you have to do. That's the flow control thing where you have to pick up the coal, put it in the machine, put all the gears in the machine, uh, activate the pressure, activate the flow control. Okay, because there's, maybe there's a second elevator um, yeah. that you you activate again. And because there's like a thing on the wall where you have to put these pipes in the right order to get the steam to route correctly. I did and not get like to that point. there's like three other rooms that like the flow control is set in this room and the furnace has to be set in this room and then you can go into this room and you can pull the lever. Um, so it's like the same elevator puzzle, but now instead of being solvable in one room, it's solvable yeah. across three. I don't think that's the same room. Like I said, I, I remember... I got as far as the prison, and I don't remember that. Like, I remember the the elevator puzzle with the three pieces. Um, this was also where I, I got the... the san- I started getting the sanity effects where, you know, my vision was blurring as I was running and, and things like that. And, you know, things that early on... Um, I thought, yeah, this will be distracting if it gets any worse. I was like, no, this is great. This this is conveying exactly what you need to convey to to let me know. Because if I was just running through and you didn't have all these effects going, I'd be like, ah, eh, it's scary, but right, right, I can see everything. I know what's hey, going it's on. pretty low poly, pretty low texture. Um, you know, it's it's not gonna be that scary. So, um, okay, so then I guess you ended up at the prison room now. Like that's yeah, kind of where you. I got, got a to. little bit through it, but I don't remember. So the, how the prison far. zone is kind of annoying because there's a lot of like looking for an item or something in a random cell. And there's a lot of, like, you get a hammer and you need to break a lock, but you can't do that until you find the chisel and then combine the hammer with the chisel and then use it to press the lock. And it's like, really, I couldn't just swing the hammer into the gate. I need this other item. Um, And there's a monster walking around the floor that makes it highly annoying because the way it's laid out, it's easy to get lost. And with the monster, you can't really do a pattern sweep of the area of like, okay, I still can't get this lock open. What have I missed? Let me just do a sweep of the whole area and check under the beds and everything again and see is there something that I missed. Oh, wait, here comes the monster. I got to run away random now. I don't know where I'm at anymore. And I have nowhere to get back to. That seems one of the tricky things about an adventure game is if you try to do if you try to force the player to do too much, like you're saying, make all these kind of weird, non-obvious combinations, then it's frustrating. But if you don't force the player to do that, if it was just, 
have the player avoid the monster and click on this door, then it'd be like, ah, this kind of feels like a walking simulator. You know, it's not enough. It's not enough. And now the game, for its credit, will it be in some points, like if you, I think if you find the chisel first and you try to use the chisel on the lock, the text will actually be, I need something to hit this with. Yeah. You know? So like there's cases where the game will actually give you a hint when you found one piece. Um, yes. And you can't, Screw yourself. You can't use an item with another item that then, like, consumed it, and then now you can never use it again. Yeah. The game also has the weird thing of, like, destroying items when they're done. So occasionally you keep an item with you for a couple stages. And then it becomes useful again. still have the hollow needle. Yes, the hollow needle will come in again. I remember I was talking earlier about drilling a man's skull to bleed him and all that. You'll need the needle to stick in the hole to, you know, make yourself a nice cup of blood. Um, uh, and it's just weird in the adventure game mechanics of just, like, not destroying the needle after you used it and then just finding another needle. Like, yeah. why the game really isolates the um, between stages. Um, so why carry it forward? I don't understand that mechanic of why it's carrying some items forward because it doesn't seem to really serve any purchase other than like the room in which you do that, the room in which you bore the man's head. Um, there's all kinds of stuff around into cutting up people. You could easily find another hollowed out needle. Like it's not so special of an item that you brought it to an area it wouldn't be found in anyway. I wonder if it's the type of thing that most people aren't going to notice. Like most people are going to go like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't remember if the last item I used was consumed or whatever. But I wonder if it's like kind of a callback of like, oh, wait a minute. I, I have one of those. I know, I know what I need. You know, and it, it might be, it's, it comes across to me a lot. It came across as a slight annoyance of like, when am I going to use this freaking thing in my inventory? Like, I can't figure out how to get through this lock. It says I need something sharp. I got a freaking needle. How much sharper do you want? You know? And, like, why can't was, I pick the lock with the needle? Why can't, you know? And it's just like... I thought you could. That's what I did. Like, I remember later, going through that. Oh, okay. Later what locks. You're saying. Because you're carrying it through till you get to the point. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. There. So, uh, story-wise throughout the prison is where you start to realize that um, the prisoners had to be tortured. Um, and this is where the amnesia concoction came into it because, um, they had to take somebody's life essence to the edge. So there was some stuff you found about torturing animals, um, in the living quarters and they just did not frighten enough, uh, to get the amount of essence needed to conduct the experiments needed on the orb. And humans were perfect for it, but... You could sometimes get multiple extractions of this essence um, from the same person, but not if they remember the torture chamber, right? And okay. if they remember the torture chamber, when you take them in there, they're more likely to die from the session than uh, be tortured. So basically is bring somebody into the torture chamber, torturing them enough, get a good amount of essence. If they're a good candidate, take them back to the cell and give them the amnesia concoction in hopes that they won't remember tomorrow what just happened to them the day before and you can repeat the process because they will scare really well and get really horrified. You found the right way to do it. So there's a lot of medieval torture devices you start to find toward the ends of prison. Um, 
and you get to hear just how much Daniel was involved in doing the actual torturing. Like, he did a lot of the torture, and he starts to make statements in the diaries and things like, um, I can't believe how much they scream. These are the worst murderers and rapists, you know, and just the vile villainy of society. And they all like, I'm so innocent. I didn't do anything. And it's just like, I'm so sick of hearing that again and again. And you know, you have an unreliable narrator. narrator. So right away, you're like, oh, you're killing innocents. Daniel starts out the victim, and you can kind of see his slide to justifying these different things. And there is a couple of um, other characters that get mentioned that were basically gathering people. They were helpers. I do remember they mentioned that. Uh, And there's a point where they all get killed, where uh, Alexander um, basically um, poisons their wine and kills them because they were not as discreet as they needed to be, and they were going to, like, ruin everything. Um, so as it presses on a little bit, there is a moment in which memories start coming back to Daniel of things he'd done. And in the prison, there is, uh, memories of, uh, notes or things like that that trigger dialogue and memories of, uh, uh, a woman and her daughter. Um, and the daughter like gets away and Daniel's screaming, where is she? And then you catch her and then torture her and, and everything like that. And Actually, that hits Did you me get to some of that? No, but I remember in the storage area, I kept hearing like a child crying. And I'm like, this yeah, seems so these like may it's going to come that, back. Yeah. So these not, may not actually be monsters that you're hearing or actual legit sounds. That may be Daniel's memory of this child crying. Right. Because the one of the child is the hardest one to put to being a criminal. Right? Right. Because it's a child. Um and you get a really cool cut sequence where Daniel sort of fades out and then fades into an area where you really can't do anything but walk across this field to this farmhouse. And the, as you walk to it, okay, very much like the beginner's guide where you had these sections where you just walked and that was it. And narrative played as you walked. You sort of hear the sounds of people breaking in, and you hear Alexander shout to capture them all, don't let any of them get away, and then yelling at the uh, farmer of, like, you know, your, your time is done, we've caught you, you know, like he's a criminal, screaming, like, why are you doing this to us? You know, just leave us alone, we, you know, don't leave our farm, and things like that are being screamed. And then you're catching the whole family, and Daniel's running down the uh, daughter, running down the little girl. Uh, and catching her as well. And it's like, this memory is coming back to Daniel. And it's like, I'm just going to go into whole spoiler now since we've moved through all your steps. Um, the reason Daniel took the amnesia concoction himself was the weight of everything that he did willingly. Like, he starts to get to a point where he knows they're innocent and does it anyway because he's saving himself from the shadow. He is no different from Alexander using all these people for his experiment to, to jump right. into this other portal dimension. Um, and the weight of that physically cripples him. The guilt physically cripples him in a way in which he cannot kill Alexander. Okay? He doesn't know if Alexander succeeds. What is Alexander going to unleash? What's he going to do? He's 
purely evil because he's doing all these things. Now, Alexander starts having notes as well. These come in the form of a yellow scroll that you find. And they always go with the little thing in the bottom, the top, the little. Yeah, with like a gem. I actually hit two of those. Okay. They always go pure white, and it's always Alexander talking. And Alexander talks about trying to reconnect with the lost love, and it hints into Alexander not being from this world or this realm. And that the things he does here are looked upon as immoral because they're blind to seeing the greater whole of everything. And so right. I'm vilified here, but I'm actually not that bad because, you know, all that. However, your buddies don't want you coming back, so maybe you are that bad. Who knows? Right. Um, there's a lot more puzzle uh, hub rooms as you make your way down. But eventually you find Agrippa. And he is sort of monster-like thing, but he's chained up in between one of these torture chambers um, that was there. And he um, asks you to make a concoction to give to him and then cut his head off because he's this other being. If you make this concoction and he has it, he was will he have originally this, this other being, or was he? A sounds human? like he always was. Okay. And it sounds like if you make this concoction, he will have the strength needed to just survive as a head. He won't need his body. Okay. This is this is things that he doesn't need anymore. And um, you do get a choice, sort of, to help him or not, because he's telling you all these other things of like. You know, yes, we have to kill Alexander, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you understand that he has to be stopped. But you're like, I don't know if Daniel should be stopped or not. And then, if I can trust Daniel, is this guy just manipulating Daniel? Because Daniel is, you know, on his path to kill um, Alexander or not. And Um, then this guy will use the power vacuum or whatever happens there when Alexander is killed. To- exactly. Will he take the power himself? And actually, that's what he proposes, is that we have to go in, and now this can be confusing if you don't pay attention, because the game at the final sequence isn't really explicit, um, how to get to the different endings. Uh, the cool thing about the game is you can replay all the endings um, just by continue game. It'll load you up right before the final moment, and then you can just uh, go in there. If you have done everything to do that ending up until that point, then you can just go play all three endings um, that the game has. So um, I, I run around and do all the stuff for Agrippa and, and, and cut his head off so you have it. Um, meanwhile, he will give you a ton of lore into everything going on uh, there and that there's this other realm and the sort of weird plane of existence, like there's not a form, and um, Alexander was cast out of that. Don't clear why. Um, he doesn't need to go back because he could be dangerous there. Uh, and there's a reason he was cast out to begin with. Uh, and that what can happen is we let him uh, open this portal and then throw my head through it. And then I will be able to block out Alexander, but bring you through. Okay? Yeah. That sounds kind of like, or you just abandoned us both, right? You know, like, you don't know. Um, The other option is to, to, you know, go in there and not let the portal happen. Just stop a portal from happening at all. 
Uh, and then the last option is let uh, Alexander step through the portal. Okay. Um, so you get down to a really cool area. Uh, like you're actually finally in like the cult room and zone uh, of what's going on. You got this giant machinery thing that you do have to repair to get on. It's very hub-like. No point in hashing that over and over again. Um, you find the orb pieces. You put them back together. You fuse them back together. Uh, you kind of have the insight as to how they fit. It's sort of a thing of like you just let the orb take over and guide you rather than trying to actually fit the pieces. Because Alexander talked, or sorry, um, Daniel talks in many di- diaries of trying to put the orb back together. Yes. And the pieces don't fit. And it's like, because you sort of have to give yourself over to the orb and it will just show you how to guide it and then they'll fuse uh, together. And there's a, it's like a tar concoction that you make or whatever to like f- fuse them in this tar and then they're back together. Once you've made the orb, you can, once you piece the orb back together, which I think you're actually piecing back together um, a Grippa's orb, that Daniel is using your orb, I'm sorry, Alexander is using Daniel's orb to open the gateway um, because Daniel has a note about putting the orb back together eventually that you read. Like, I figured it out. I put it back together. And then that's when Alexander gets um, really diving into it. The cool thing about running into Agrippa and then uh, having uh, Alexander start talking to you is all of this stuff that has been notes and something that happened in the past and these things you're piecing together become real at this moment. Like when you get here and there's this talking zombie thing uh, of like do these things, but he tells you his name is Agrippa. It lends a really heavy impact to everything that came up before. But she's like, wait, I'm caught up to the now. I, I can still change outcomes and things. I thought I was just going to read everything that happened. And you find everyone dead. And you end. find everyone dead. Yeah, I can see Kind of like a walking simulator, right? Yeah. Kind of like a Dear Esther. Okay, I figured out kind of what happened here and move on. Then you realize, no, it hasn't happened yet. These players are still here. Um, so if you go in, um, you can knock over some pillars that stop the experiment. The shadow then takes over. So, like, the pink just covers the room and everybody dies. Alexander and you. Okay? So, you just kill everyone. Um, If you... No, no, I'm sorry. That's if you let Alexander port. If you let Alexander go through the portal, the shadow shows up, kills you, you're dead. Alexander gets out. He says a whole bunch of evil things on the way out, and you're like, you were evil, (laughs) you know? Um... If you knock over the pillars to break the portal from being summoned and, like, the orb uh, is there, the shadow shows up to collect it, the shadow focuses on Alexander because he's the one manipulating the orb, and you walk out. And some people take it as to be kind of like the good ending for Daniel because Daniel is kind of walking out with, like, a need to atone And I need to like, so people imagine, because as he's walking out, he's talking about all the horrors that happened here. Um, I participated in them under manipulation of this demon, Alexander. Um, I am not innocent, but I have destroyed this this demon uh, that has invaded our world. And now I can like get away and atone. And so you can imagine Daniel doing this life of 
charity and servitude to try to atone for everything else and is the good outcome of the situation. Because if you do the Agrippa ending, which is let the portal open but throw Agrippa's head through it so he can block Alexander, Agrippa will pull Daniel through as he dies. So you kind of go through dead. And then the very ending is Agrippa turning to Wilhelm of, he is a good soul, you should save him. And so Wilhelm might be more powerful than the others, I guess, or maybe because he's been longer in this other realm. But while all this conversation of like what to do with you is happening and all that, you're just seeing vague shots of the cosmos and stars. So like no real, but I like that because it shouldn't try to explain what the other side of the portal is, you know? Right, because you're, again, it's the Lovecraftian thing of once you define it, it's it loses some of the force. Like, the showing the vague shots basically sets it up so this is something Daniel does not understand and he is not prepared to understand. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I've over-talked too much without... <coughs> Drinking. drinking and now my throat's like well you're gonna pay now um but exactly and the story would benefit <clears throat> none from explaining the portal because it actually resolves up the events that took place at the castle what was daniel doing what was going on and there would be nothing but a really cheesy one-liner there's no time for any interesting cool explanation of the portal at this point. And there shouldn't be, because, again, like you just said, Lovecraftian horror, you don't explain it. Yeah. It is unknowable. It is not something that can be understood. But this is not the good ending, you say. <laughs> Why is this not the good ending? Because it's not clear if Wilhelm sells, saves David or not. Okay, I see what you're saying. I didn't know if it was because, like, Alexander is still out there. and you know. The understanding is, like, Alexander is then claimed by the shadow. The shadow shows up oh, okay. and then takes Alexander. And because the, the shadow had its, like, orb-welding sacrifice, like somebody who actually held the orb and manipulated it, it can now recede because it only comes out when somebody starts messing with one of these orbs. Right. Um, so it's not going to be... Taking over the world or chasing anybody else. I'm guessing the game doesn't explicitly spell that out. This is just something you kind of not have so to much. Pull. It's a go to the wiki and then like somebody right. has a theory that is backed by in-game narrative that gets adopted as the canonical answers, and then you can start going off into like these alternate ones. Yeah, because I feel like that's a a case with any sort of like Lovecraftian game. Um, like certainly the Call of Cthulhu RPG is, it's not a straightforward story. Like a straightforward RPG is there's a monster, you know, there's, you know, a bad guy or monster or whatever. Hero goes out, kills the monster, whatever. There can be some twists and turns, but basically that's right, it. That's it. For something like this, there's very much the what's really happening. And what's really happening has to be kind of obtuse and, and obscure enough that it doesn't necessarily make sense. If a horror, if a horror story, not, not just it's hidden from the player, but it's not necessarily first this happened, then this happened, this and this happened, then this happened, because that's predictable. 
That's not how horror works. The idea of Lovecraftian horror is it is beyond your comprehension. So something is happening. Something triggered these things, but I don't really understand. Yeah, and from a game design point and even a novel and a writing standpoint, it's because you can come up with a greater terror in your head than I could ever write or create. Yes. And that terror in your head, if I can get you to create it and then use it, I have a much more intense experience. So... um, it's still a game I loved at the end. Like, I got through it. I didn't have, like, a Dead Space feeling. I did have a Dead Space feeling of it felt like one too many hub rooms were um, yeah, adding I- this out. Um, although they do relax a bit on the darkness mechanic. So there are zones and areas that you go into that are just kind of lit okay and you don't really have to worry about it. Like, the prison seems to be one of the worst. Yeah. Uh, for the lighting but then you sort of get to some of the underground chambers and the torture chambers and things like that where rituals were happening and it's not that far between lights um and it the effect isn't that intense um but they do sort of start to up the number of zombies yeah which that are running around um that give chase and things like that there is the typical um uh, there's actually a fourth ending um you get um, caught in a prison at one point. Like the the first time you go into the chamber towards Alexander, you know, he basically sends his zombie minion guys out at you. They catch you and put you in a prison. Uh, They lock you up in a cell. And if you don't figure the puzzle to get out of that cell in like 10 minutes of gameplay, the shadow catches up and kills you. And that's the end. You know? Uh, now, at that point, just reloads, gives you another 10 minutes to find your way around the cell. And like I said, if you pay attention, interactables highlight or, you know, they change the cursor and things like that. So it's just a matter of, like, look around for a little bit. Anything that looks interesting, put your cursor on it. You'll figure it out. It's not hard uh, to do that at all. But So I think it's a good wrap-up uh, on uh, this podcast. We definitely had the content. I was worried we wouldn't have a whole lot, but um, we might take this approach for our next game, I think, going stage by stage uh, or inside. I think it might lend itself well to... Especially if we have a bunch of people. Yeah, <laughs> um, to breaking down and discussing the game. I think I might stick this forward. Because we also get to talk about what's going on in the game. So if you haven't played it, um, I'll try to, in my notes, keep track of what um, was happening in the game. So I can say, okay, at this point, this is what happened. And everybody can like, oh, at this point I did this and I did that and I did that um, on that. So yeah, um, next game is going to be inside. Uh, it's $20 available on Steam. I also think it's on PlayStation and Xbox One. PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, or maybe on only one of those. Like It could have been like a Xbox One or a PlayStation indie exclusive that the, maybe the time window hasn't run out on yet. Um, but it's about 20 bucks right now on Steam. Uh, you might be able to get some other places you want to look around, but play that game before the next month if you want to sort of like play along with the show. Um, otherwise, my information's at vinyl.com. Your information? DylanWolf.com. DylanWolf.com. Twitter. Yep, vinyl on Twitter here uh, as well. And then these are video games. If you get curious to see my Let's Play channel or my, uh, which also right now as this is going up is the Let's Play for um, Amnesia, which. The Let's Plays I do regularly are are with um, a good friend, John, and they're more comedic than game design. But the Let's Plays that say, like, Mike plays game 
is game design heavy. It's just me, and I'm just commenting on systems and design as I play through it. So um, if, if, like, the comedy stuff isn't what you want to watch, and that you click on the channel and you see that, just know that if you go to the mic plays, it's going to be this more game design focused uh let's plays and i'll have a limbo one up at some point too so i've decided i like putting up the ones i play along i have to record footage for this video on youtube anyway for this podcast which is a good reminder that if you're watching this like comment subscribe um but also you can subscribe to us on itunes and the google play store the uh, google podcast or whatever app um whatever they called that uh, that they launched a couple of months ago. We are now in that Google podcasting app directory. If you have an Android device, you have to go install the podcast player. It didn't install with like an Android update. So there's an official by Google podcast app. Um, and in, in that catalog, you can find uh, this show. The easiest way to search is Game Design Chat. So if you're watching us on YouTube or on the website, knoxgamedesign.org, and you'd like to subscribe to it on your mobile device of choice, um, there's a raw RSS feed, but also the Google Play Store and uh, iTunes. You can find us there as well. On any of these, if you like the show, if you don't, you know, leave a rating, leave a comment. Um, you know, let us know what you think. That, that's actually the best way to help the show. If you really want to help the show uh, on iTunes or on the Google Play Store, uh, leave a review, leave a comment there. Uh, that helps immensely. Um, helps us uh helps our discoverability as far as when somebody types in game design and they just go looking for podcasts that really helps the odds of us showing up so until next episode thank you everyone for listening